When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, the World Tongue Twister champion just got arrested. I hear they're giving him a really tough sentence. Hey, Schmackamagabin, as promised, again, we got Andrew Scambatti. Did I get your name right? You did, you did. Hell yeah. So, uh, Andrew, uh, we've all been waiting for the 96, is it called Alive 96? Alive 96, that's it. You're, which I still haven't seen. I've seen little clips, and it looks <laughs> awesome. So I can't wait to see it. And uh, if you look at the link below... Uh, you're going to have a link to it because he just put it up. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. It, it was a, a real passion project. Not to say that the other ones weren't a passion project, but being a younger fan, the reunion tour was the first time I got to see the band and kind of the first time I got to experience the, uh, the not the nostalgia, but kind of the, uh, the, the hysteria that was involved with Kiss in the 70s. Kiss was everywhere in 96, so to me, I still have really vivid memories of going to like my local deli and seeing Kiss on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. So it just made all the sense in the world to pay tribute to this, to this great era and give the fans the live concert experience that Kiss never gave us in early 97. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's what I've done, and uh, so far people seem to really enjoy it. Hell yeah, I, I can't wait to see it. So can you tell us a little bit about it without spoiling it? So basically, anytime you watched a Pro Shot reunion tour show, to me at least, it always felt like it was missing something. You have that great Tiger Stadium concert on Kissology Volume 3, but it's all shot really close up. There's no really, there's no shots at the full stage. Um, you know, it's darkness in between all the songs, and it just feels, it just feels like an incomplete concert. We were never given a professionally put together package of the excitement that we experienced at those reunion tour shows you know last time we talked you were telling me how great it was when you saw kiss in miami yeah. and uh and i said it was great when i saw him in new jersey but that excitement it didn't translate to those videos so what i wanted to do is i wanted to go back and pull all that pro shot footage there's about 10 shows that are out there and put something together that really relives this magical era and uh so that that's what a live 96 is it's that it's that vhs tape we never got in early 1997 so, so is it like a full show, or is it's, it like a compilation? It, it, well, it's so you know how Alive wasn't technically a full show, and then Alive Two also wasn't technically a full show. Right. This, this is a lot. This is the Alive '96 version of that. It's right. 15 songs, but uh, the drum solo is a little bit edited down. The guitar solo is edited down. The blood solo is edited down. It really gets all the high points of the show and edits it in a very, quote-unquote, alive way. 
So it it picks out the best stuff and it gives you a really great representation of what that show was. I kind of want I kind of treated it like I was making like the Kiss Confidential of 1996 or the Alive of 1996. And I wanted to fit on one CD, you know, if that were to if it were to ever be pressed on a CD and, and one DVD. So it's 15 songs. It's all the great high points of the show. And uh, if you wa- if you would have seen Kiss in 96, this everything in this video you would have seen. Oh, I'm really excited. So is there any other footage other than just live footage? This is my first project where it's all live footage. I wanted to. I wanted to create something that was just a live concert all the way through and really recreated that live concert experience because I don't think, at least in my in my films that I've done, I don't think I've ever uh, just given you a live show. And furthermore, aside from the Kiss Symphony and, uh, and Rock the Nation and the Rock's Vegas DVDs, Kiss never released a long-form live concert package. So right. I think it was time. I think it was time that that someone went back and and did that. And and I was on another show and I was mentioning that I, I've done all these things with all these different Kiss movies and things like that. And um, it always boggles my mind that nobody had done it before me because there are really great, super talented fans of the Kiss in the Kiss Army that could have done this before. But I, I'm not sure why it was me the one that did it first. I don't have any delusions of grandeur. I don't think I'm the best or anything like that. I just I basically look at these gaps in Kiss's release history, and I fill in those gaps, and and people seem to enjoy them. I I, I mean the ones that you put up so far, and I'm sure a lot of people listening now because I put the links up last week on the podcast. I, I'm very very excited. So you're airing it. I mean by the time this is up, uh, it's already up. But you are going to air it on Friday, right? Uh, yep, Friday, December 11th is the release for this next project. And you could watch it on YouTube and Vimeo, just like you can all of my other movies. And uh, what's really cool uh, about when I set these premiere dates on YouTube is um, as the as the, the movie is, at, is airing for the first time on YouTube, you could do like live chat and, and all that cool stuff. So uh, it's a little bit of an event, uh, but you can tune into YouTube anytime and watch it after December 11th. So um, Monday, on Dece- Monday, December 7th, I believe it is, is when I put the link live. So you can kind of you know, wait in line like you're waiting in line for a concert, but it's the YouTube link. So uh, it's just something cool. It's something I did for uh, the One Last Time concert where people could kind of wait in line, and when the video goes live, YouTube sends them a notification, and they could watch it just like they were watching you know, a midnight showing of a movie. It's cool. It's cool. Right on, man. So, um, is this all from one show, or is it uh, different type, different shows? It's actually ten different shows, and Ooh. the reason why it's ten different shows is each show had a little bit of something that the other show didn't have. If it was really, really great full stage shots, some of those I took from the Miami show. Some of them had oh, great cool. close-ups, and and just some of them sounded better than than others. So basically, what I did is I took the Tiger Stadium show as a starting point because sonically, the band sounded the best at that show. I'm not saying there wasn't any any mistakes. You know, we'll talk about band mistakes a little bit later. But sonically, in Tiger Stadium, that show sounded the best. So I started there, and then once I had the Tiger Stadium show, I just started adding things to it. I added shots from Madison Square Garden, then I added shots from Toledo, Tokyo, Miami. Atlanta, all, all these great shows that, that are out there. And then once I kind of had the shows cut together, 
I then went back and I color corrected all of them to make them look like they all came from the same show. So unless you know, well, I guess you know now because you're listening to this interview. So unless you know that there were different shows used for this project, you should be able to sit down and suspend disbelief and say, hey, this is one full show. This is one experience that, that I'm watching here on my couch. Hopefully you could just pretend and then just take yourself back in time and pretend like you're seeing this for the first time in 1996. So basically, uh, so you're not going to have any uh, footage of Paul saying, hello, Miami, or something like that, right? <laughs> no, um, most of the city names I took out, there were a couple uh, times where they said Detroit, because Detroit is where most of the audio came from. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, most of the city names had been taken out, really similarly how Kiss took all the, the city names out of Alive and Alive 2. So I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to do something that really reminded you of the 70s era, but gave it like a 90s polish. So I, I feel as though as if this would have been released in 1997 after the reunion tour or even during the Lost Cities tour, I think, um, I think this is, they would have done something very similar to this. Right. And uh, did you uh, put it up as like how the set list was, you know, minus the guitar solo edit and the drum solo edit? Are the songs in order as how the set list was in 96? Yeah, it's pretty much in order. There were there's some songs missing, obviously, like Do You Love Me and New York Groove are songs that are missing. So the set list, it's very similar to how the set list was towards the end of the tour where it was, you know, Deuce, King, Let Me Go and then Firehouse. So. Um, it's it's really similar to how the setlist evolved, but I wanted to I wanted it to more flow I wanted it to flow a little better than the setlist did in '96. I thought mm-hmm. that uh, sometimes Firehouse into Watching You it dragged a little bit, but it it gives you it, it's it it let it gives you the best snapshot of what the setlist could have been some of the nights. Uh, right. We know we know that that reunion tour was a really long tour, and uh, the setlist did change from night to night sometimes. So um, this is a re- this is about as close as you can get to a full show uh, as possible without completely mimicking it. I believe I could be wrong. Maybe you would know this. Uh, Christine sixteen was only played in Detroit. That is correct. That's one of the songs that was dropped almost immediately. And um, it in my initial edits, I was going to use Christine sixteen, but I'm like, yeah, you know this this is. Um, this really wasn't represented fully on the reunion tour. And unless you were there in Detroit, you never knew that they played Christine 16 uh, right. on that reunion tour. So that one, that one got cut really, really early on, but there were other songs that got cut like 2000 man. That was there um, early on the tour. They did rock bottom later on in the tour. They did come on and love me. And I was made for loving you. So uh, none of those songs are represented there because I didn't. Uh, I didn't have enough footage from any of those songs to to make it to make it a cohesive package. But um, the main, the, you know, all the songs that you want to see are are there. You're not going to walk away from this going, man. I wish they had this song in there. I wish they had that song in there. So uh, all the high points of the show uh, are in there. So uh, if if your friend is a casual fan of Kiss, you know they're going to love this as much as the diehards do. Right on. Um, I remember Rock Bottom, because I, I guess I caught the early part. So they, they cut Rock Bottom off the set list later in the tour? Yeah, Rock Bottom. I think it was replaced, um, it was, for a little while it was replaced with Take Me, and then it was replaced oh. with uh, then it was replaced with Come On and Love Me. When they came to Cleveland the second time in October 
of 96. They did take me. But take me was only there for maybe a handful of shows. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever even seen footage of them doing take me or come on and love me on the on the reunion show. I don't think I've seen any footage of that. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did come on and love me when I saw them in December 96. And uh, there's a Toledo show that's pro shot on YouTube where they do both come on and love me and I was made for loving you. So uh, it's cool. It's it's one of those really cool songs. You forget how cool some of those early songs are because, you know, we're we're so used to hearing the heavens on fire and the lick it up and, you know, yeah. nothing against nothing against those songs. But um, you forget how how cool some of those early era songs were. Uh, I love anything off dress to kill and, yeah. uh, and and to hear and to hear those songs played by the original band. <clears throat> nothing against Eric or Tommy, but hearing those original songs played by the original band is is really cool so uh definitely check out that toledo show to hear come on and love me and then um cleveland the october cleveland show is when they did take me yeah uh dress to kill is the is the album i listen to the most when it comes to the kiss stuff Mm -hmm. it's uh dress to kill and unplugged those are the two vinyls i put on the most i you know i play them all but i'm saying the ones that i go back to the most are those two for some reason, man. There's just something... For the longest time, Hotter Than Hell was my favorite of the first three. Now it's like... It's been like for two, three years now, it's like Dress to Kill is my favorite of the first three. Which is weird, because if you really want to get technical about the whole thing, the first album's got the best songs. <laughs> you know, it's it's got all the staples, but there's just something about Dress to Kill. The flow, the, the track listing, the... the Peter Chris performance on that album. It's just mind blowing. It's just such a fun record. Yeah, it's it's definitely my favorite of the three of the the first three. But you're right. The first record does have the greatest songs on it. Yeah. But I don't think the first record represented how Kiss sounded. Um, You know, Mm. you're 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 a music guy like me. There's no distortion on that entire first record, which is mind blowing. Right. I actually prefer the. the the demos i was just i was just gonna say that because if you listen to the kramer demos they have that distortion and those songs sound so cool you listen to to deuce it's got that extended solo strutter's got an extended part in it too watching you sounds great so i i absolutely love those kramer demos i love the kramer demos so much that uh, i have a playlist on my ipod of all the 70s kiss songs Mm-hmm. And those five songs from the Kramer demo are the versions of the song that I use. I don't use the Hotter Than Hell version of Watching You, and I don't use the first album version of any of those other songs. I I absolutely love those Kramer demos. It's yeah. really sad that that they didn't do more sessions like that with Kramer. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's probably odd. Maybe they couldn't afford uh, Kramer back then. You know, Casablanca probably couldn't afford them. Casablanca you know, couldn't afford Casablanca couldn't afford anything. That's why. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. why Neil Bogart. That's why Neil sorry, Bogart. Sorry. Uh, sorry about that. That's why Neil Bogart um, produced uh, "Dress to Kill," but uh, but I I agree with you on "Unplugged" as well too because uh, "Unplugged" was one of those records that I heard, I had so many uh, friends that were non Kiss fans that had Kiss Unplugged. It was a big deal when it aired on MTV in Halloween on '95. Oh yeah. So because uh, it it. it you had this band and they were trying to prove themselves again because they were at their lowest popularity of any era was during that 94, 95 era. 
So right. you had them coming out doing this MTV Unplugged TV show and record, and they're at their lowest popularity, just trying to prove themselves again, saying, hey, you know, we wore makeup and blew stuff up, but hey, these songs are pretty good too. So uh, that's one of the ones I consistently, consistently go back to. And, and one of the ones, that, it was one of the first albums I rebought on vinyl uh, when, the, uh, when the 2014 remasters came out. Mm-hmm, yeah, I had to get that on vinyl. Um, and I remember before it aired, uh, I think it was Metal Edge or one of those uh, publications I read, you know, Ace and Peter came out. Mm-hmm. So when they finally were going to air it, I was like, oh my God, are we, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, that, if you really look at it, you know, that, that convention, did you go to the convention? Uh, no, I was just too young to go to that convention. Because if you went to that convention tour in 95, uh, the Roseland Ballroom Show, they, they gave you tickets to MTV Unplugged. That's how you got into Unplugged. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, did, I did see the Miami one. And it was just, man, the, 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 the craze of the original lineup, you know, the question and answering, you know, they kept asking, you know, Gene and Paul for reunion. It was at a fever pitch at that point. It was kind of like, oh, uh, you know, and then when Ace and Peter came out, that's what caused the reunion, you know, <laughs> the, the the reaction of the crowd. And, you know, they just, they had to do it. It was like, they were, you know, I mean, if you really think about it, if Revenge would have blown up and been huge, there would have never been a reunion, at least not at that time. I you agree. Know, they They were very happy doing their thing you know i mean look i'm an ace and peter guy but i'm not i'm not a a blind sheep fool because both those guys are pains in the asses you know (laughs) and to have them in the band they know it's going to be a headache and they were right you know uh it became a nightmare you know for them to to reunion now that we hear the stories but at that time it's like well what are we going to do i mean this carnival souls album i mean it's not going to fill arenas no. We're not where we've lost a lot of uh, fans. You know, I think what happened was, you know, Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade, uh, putting X and Sex. It really did hurt revenge. You know, it was kind of like a and, you know, I mean, uh, I, I Hot in the Shade tour was awesome and it was packed. But I didn't go to the revenge tour, but I heard they were hurting on that tour. You know? One of my one of my good friends went to one of the last revenge shows, and I believe it was out on the West Coast. And he says it was a mid size arena, so you figure maybe eight to ten thousand people. And he says there couldn't have been more than three thousand people in that arena. Look at that! It was like Creature of the Night all over again. Yeah, but, it was. But, but they they were tank they were tanking because that that revenge show it cost way more than the the Creatures of the Night tour. But that, that revenge tour, it had such a huge production cost. Yeah. Because it was following that that huge production from Hot in the Shade. So the band was tanking at that time. And you're right. If if this if that time period was a success, there would never have been a reunion tour. Never in a million years. Not and not, at that, That's and not sure. at that time either. But but I think the the stars really aligned in '96, and that's what you'll see, you know, here in a live '96 on YouTube, December 11th. That's what you'll see. Then you'll see that the, the the not only were these guys glad to be back with each other, but they were glad to be back in Kiss. And yeah. there are some shots where you see Gene; he's glad to be the Demon again. But even let, let's let's go even bigger than that. You had other you had other great '70s bands 
that were touring in the summer of 96 and 97. The 70s were back, and it, it was the right time, and they were the right band to, to set this movement off. I mean, Kiss was on the cover of Forbes magazine. That was just completely unheard of. And you could tune into The Tonight Show well into 1997. And The Tonight Show with Jay Leno was still showing clips when he visited Kiss at the Forum in, in August of 96. It was mayhem. It was mayhem. And, and I hope that when people sit down and watch a live 96, they remember back to how excited they were at that time. How excited they were to see Tupac at the Grammys introduce Kiss. How excited they were at that press conference in uh, in the Intrepid in '96. Um, you know, I remember hearing about it because it was it was everywhere. I I didn't go. I was only ten years old at the time, but um, I I just I remember hearing about it. Being being a kid from New Jersey, I kind of always heard about the 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 New York Kiss events. And especially when I got online and was reading the Great Kiss Asylum at that time, you heard about all those cool things that were happening. So um, it was the it was the exact it was the exact right time. And um, just kind of look, looking back for a moment, I love that Carnival of Souls record. But me uh, too, I do but, too. I mean, not the whole thing, but I feel some of it. I'll tell you a funny story about that Carnival of Souls album. Um, I always thought. Because of the reunion tour and the negotiations, some of the songs on there, you may agree, you may not agree with me. Um, some songs on there, they're good songs, but they sound incomplete. Like, I'll give you a couple examples what I think. But I ended up being wrong, and I'll explain why. Mm-hmm. But I thought, uh, you know, in my head, the mirror, all these songs sound, they're kick-ass songs, but eh, they didn't work enough on it. But mm-hmm. last year in Nashville, I interviewed, uh, is it Toby Wright? Is that his name? Yep, yep, the producer. Yeah, and I I brought that up. I go, man, uh, did Gene and Paul, like, really, you know, because of the reunion, they didn't put more effort into it? He's like, nope. They were 100% behind it the whole time, even the reunion talks. They, you know, what you heard on that album is the complete songs, their complete vision, this and that. And I was like, wow. But then there's like, man, I love, like, the most grungiest song on there is uh, Never Goes Away. I That's love that song. song. It's like one of the greatest Paul performances. It's total grunge, and I don't care. You know, a lot of people are like, ah, it's a grunge record. I don't like it. Hey, man, I don't mind with Kiss. You know, Kiss, uh, another thing, and it's not really a popular thing, but a lot of people are like, oh, well, Kiss jumps on bad wagons because, you know, you got uh, the disco with, um, uh, what was it? I was made for loving you. I was made for loving you. You got the wall with the elder. You got the hair bands with Crazy Nights. But I'm like, man, go all the way back to the first album. Paul admits it. Some of those songs were ripped off from Mata Hoople, Humble Pie. Black Sabbath. Uh, Black Sabbath. And then, you know, mid-period, uh, Hard Luck Woman was really like a, a Rod Stewart song. You know, and that, that was very popular at the time. They were, Kiss were kind of a, a trend-chasing band. But, man, I mean, all right, they didn't get it right with... Uh, were crazy nights, in my opinion, when they were trying to be Bon Jovi and stuff. But when <laughs> they, they were chasing Hard Luck Woman, to me, is the greatest fucking ballad they ever wrote. You know, and it's like, and that's them chasing the Maggie May uh, yeah. trend. And, you know, Firehouse was, what was that, Mata Hoopla or something? Yeah. Um, you know, all these songs dating back to the first album, Kiss was always a, a band that was of the time. And that makes them kind of cool to me. You know, even if I'm not crazy about, you know, 
crazy nights. I mean, they were always like, okay, this is popular now, so let's do this. And it worked, man, for the most part. I love Dynasty. Dynasty is probably, you know what? I like rock and roll over. That's like my favorite one. But I listen to Dynasty more, you know? There's just something special. I don't know if it's a timeline thing because it was the first Kiss album I bought that was a brand new Kiss album, my own uh, Alive and Double Platinum before that and Ace Frehley Solo album. But that was brand new. And I went out and bought it when it was brand new. And it was special, man. It was just and to me, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's not your timeline, Andrew. So mm-hmm. what do you think of Dynasty? I mean, is this something you revisit much? Yeah, it, it is. I, I had uh, I, an older sister is what initially got me into Kiss. So I actually had a bunch of old cassette tapes. And that and I was listening back to these cassette tapes. And I remember, I for some reason, I don't know what happened to the cover of it, but I had just the original white Dynasty Casablanca cassette from the 70s. And I just remember, I remember listening to it, and I was like, oh, this sounds kind of different. But uh, I was a huge Ace Frehley fan at the time. So when I heard 2000 Man, I was like, oh, this rocks. Yeah. And Sure No Something was always one of my favorites. So I once I upgraded and got them on CDs, Dynasty was one of those albums I revisited often because I Was Made For Loving You was such a huge hit. And right. when you're young, because Kiss always got us when we were young, when you were young, you didn't know the difference between disco, pop, and all that. You just knew that this was Kiss. So they they kind of they kind of brainwashed you a little bit in that way because you're like, oh, this is Kiss. I don't know if it's a disco song. I just know that that's a Kiss song. So you instantly liked it, whether you liked disco or pop or rock or not. So I I, I revisit Dynasty. Um, it's not the one that I revisit the most. Obviously, the one I revisit the most is MTV Unplugged. But as far as those studio records go. Uh, I think they really got it right when it came time to rock and roll over. It yeah. sounds like a live record, but it's a studio recording. Um, I just I don't get the I don't get the hatred that's thrown around for those records that sound differently. You have these bands like ACDC that they sound really similar from album to album. Nothing mm-hmm. against them. I think they're a great band, but people dog on them for that. Then people dog on bands like Kiss that say, "Oh, well, they they." They, they chase trends or they do things. They, 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 they want to change sound between albums. Then you have a band like Motley Crue that doesn't even use the same logo from album to album. Yeah. I just think it's cool. I think, it, I think if you're a Kiss fan, which, which we are, and there are these huge diehard Kiss fans that can listen to this band and kind of cherry pick what genre of this band that they want to listen to. So um, I, I love all that stuff. Hey, there will even be times where I even like listening to Unmasked. And I know Unmasked gets, gets shit on more often than probably Dynasty does. Oh, yeah. But I like, I I mean, like I that record, too. <laughs> I don't. I, I, you know, I, I love Naked City. And just recently, oh. um, I think maybe like two years ago, I realized how good um, uh, Easy As It Seems is. I never liked that song. And all of a sudden, I was like... <laughs> Damn, this song is really good. Very disco-ish, but it's a very cool song. And I and I love Shandy. I, I make no excuses. I think that's a great pop ballady type song, you know. But uh, the rest, eh, you know. And I am the Ace guy, and I'm not a fan of those Ace songs. But you know, I mean, that's just me. I mean, I, and plus, you know, I'm not I'm not a pickle whistler, dude. Anybody that loves a mask, <laughs> you know, I understand because hey, I love the Elder. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, you fucking love the elder. Yeah. Well, you know, I, but 
it's cool, man. I mean, I understand my taste is weird and yeah. something uh, according to the the mass kiss army. You know, I, I do have like, you know, a lot of people, man, I, I see a lot more hate than of uh, Carnival of Souls than the Elder. You know, people and that's just, so weird. It's heavy, dude. Uh, Jungle is a great yeah, song. Awesome. Jungle awesome. is a great song. And I think the reunion tour kind of projected Jungle to be a, a minor hit for the band. I mean, Carnival Souls, to my understanding, never went gold or it was at least never certified gold. But um, Jungle was kind of, I remember like around Halloween 97, I remember Jungle was kind of on the radio, you know, seldomly. And uh, and and they were on the the big rock station out by me in, in New Jersey was ninety five nine the Rat, and I remember Kiss was on the Rat around Halloween and they were talking about the record, and um, even though it wasn't Ace and Peter, I still think it was cool and I think Jungle is, is cool. There's actually a really great DVD called uh, the Eric Singer Project. I think it's Live at the Marquee. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's a it's an Eric Singer concert where it's Eric Singer, Bruce Kulick, Chuck Garrick. And John Karabi, they're playing a, a little club, and they're doing a bunch of songs from Carnival of Souls, and and the songs they just sound so cool that uh, I'm like, man, how cool would it have been to hear Paul Stanley sing, you know, Master and Slave or Jungle live in 1997? Uh, Master that and Slave is my favorite track on that album. That would have been awesome. It would have been awesome. So, but they're, I mean, the great thing about Kiss is they have such a long history, and they have all these different musical genres. That, right. that you can choose from. If they made 20 albums and they all sounded like Dress to Kill, I probably yeah. wouldn't make it to the last five. Yeah, no, true. It's, uh, there's a lot of variation. In, uh, you know, a lot of their albums are kind of a staple of the time, but it's like they gave it their all. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of um, Asylum. Um, I love Asylum. And they, they didn't look more ridiculous than they did then. I think that <laughs> album... The hatred that album gets is because people judge it with their eyes. Um, I think the songs on there are very strong. There's some, I'm not too crazy about the singles, I, except for All Night, which, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Kiss Me's Fan of the Park because it's so stupid, it's great. And I feel the same way about All Night. Such a stupid song, but I feel All Night, if you, look the, if you listen to structure and just listen to the song, it sounds like Heaven's on Fire Part 2 to me. Yeah, and, yeah, I, I agree there. They, and at I, least and they I love Heavens, Heavens on, fire. on Fire. They I wanted mean, to be Heavens on Fire Part 2. Yeah. That, was a, that was a hit for them. But exactly. um, what I always found funny about the Asylum record is the coolest song on there, Who Wants to Be Lonely, they never played live. I'm like, yeah. man, that song is awesome. Yeah, that, I don't like that one, dude. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, I don't like that, and I don't like Tears of Fallen. I know those are the two that... Yeah, those are the uh, you know I, I I'm not a fan of Radar for Love either, but man, dude, my favorite song on there. And if you look at my review, I bash it. Um, now looking back, I mean, my favorite song on there is Secretly Cruel. I Secretly love Cruel that song. I absolutely love Secretly Cruel, and you know, but I didn't like it at one point. So kind of like easy as it seems. Some songs, uh, it takes me years to actually was, walk uh... up to. There was this great band, and I, I can't remember the name of them now, but they, they did a cover of Secretly Cruel, but did it in the vein of 70s-style Kiss. I think they I've made, seen it. And they right? made they're wearing makeup? Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let, me see if I could, let me see if I could find them. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing a video. They're all wearing makeup, and yeah, it's a cool tune. And that opening riff is total 70s. Yeah, double, double Virgo, Secretly Cruel. 
Yeah, uh, it's really cool. I suggest people check that out. Yeah, it's, check it out because it really gives that 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 song a cool seventies vibe. Um, I think, uh, I, and I've said this once before, that I think Asylum was the last New York City Kiss record because after that, you know, Paul and Gene they moved out to Los Angeles, and I think they kind of lost their balls a little bit. Right. Um, you listen to Asylum, and you can kind of hear Paul's influences um, from being in New York City. And, and I've heard from friends that were in New York City around that time that they would see Paul walking up and down the street as they were doing sessions for the Asylum record, just getting ideas. And I think that translates into the record. Some of the stuff is a little bit silly on on Asylum, but yeah. I think it was them. It was it was them trying to be. Um, that hard-edged New York City band. And I do think that the I do think there was a lot of excitement on that Asylum tour that kind of wasn't there on the Crazy Nights tour. So, um yeah, it was Asylum, a better show too. Yeah, yeah, Asylum I I revisit Asylum uh probably the most of the 80s records. Uh I'm not a huge fan of Animal Eyes. I'm not a huge fan no, of Crazy Nights. I'm not a fan of Hot in the Shade at all, except for the tour. So Asylum was one of those cool records where you're like, okay, I could I could see what they're doing here. So, yeah. uh, you know, I I highly I recommend it to people. And there's some of the coolest <laughs> stuff that happened around Asylum too. They got to play the Garden again for the first time since 1979. And uh, of course, Asylum is the best record because it was the year that I was born. So <laughs> everybody should go and get Asylum specifically for that reason. Um, but there was just there's something about it. Um, there's a lot of cool. They did a cool. Um, they were on uh, what was the name of that show? Rockline. They were on Rockline around the time that Asylum came out. And then there's a lot of just cool interviews. The band talking about how excited they were uh, to go back out on tour. And, um, and and I just think that 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 magic was kind of lost uh, on the Crazy Nights tour. So um, you won't get a lot of hate from me as far as Asylum goes because uh, it's one of those. It's that last New York City Kiss record. My opinion. It was, it was a great tour. I saw that tour in West Palm Beach with Wasp, and that was like the biggest Kiss logo they had behind them that <laughs> turned colors. And I remember they did uh, "We Don't Get Fooled Again," which uh, Bruce Kulick, uh Did you see that thing Bruce Kulick just put out? I did. I did. I I kind of thought I was like, wow, uh, somebody else is syncing a bunch of audience footage. Yeah. To a soundboard Kiss recording, I'm like, hmm. I wonder where they got the, that idea from. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but I thought it was cool. I think um, clearly Bruce has some recordings in his archives that we may never see the light of day. Bruce is a really respectable and stand-up guy. He's not going to leak out recordings. But it sounds like Bruce might be sitting on some stuff. Um, he did finally confirm that the Asylum tour was never professionally recorded. Yeah. And I know some fans uh, think that it was. But um, that was that that was that cool era where kiss was doing a cover for the first time. Um, it was exciting to go see kiss again. And they were kind of riding off those coattails of those huge hits that they had on the the record before they had, you know, heavens on fire, such a big hit. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a really big fan. There's a really cool, uh, bootleg, uh, from the asylum tour that is a soundboard recording. I believe it's from Charlotte, North Carolina. So, uh, if you've never heard that one, I definitely recommend, uh, you give that one a listen. Uh, and I think it's only missing one song, and I think the last song might have been Heavens on Fire. But uh, I strongly recommend taking a listen to that because you hear how heavy the band was at that time. Uh, one, one, one thing I'll never get out of my mind uh, on the Asylum tour, because I was pretty up there, I was pretty close. Uh, there's a part of the show 
Uh, I shit you not. There was some girl. Uh, you know, she was kind of a little heavy, uh, but she had some <laughs> huge boobs, and she had a tank top on. And Paul Stanley uh, reached down, pulled down her tank top, <laughs> and started grabbing her tits. That's the one thing I remember the most about that show. I was like, God damn, dude, you can't you can't pull that shit today. No, but, no. And, and, and I think I think Kiss was doing things like that because they wanted to be that bad boy band again. Yeah, because they were. It was the big um, band at the time, Motley Crue. Yeah, exactly. And also uh, another vision, another thing was I was I was even closer at the Animalize tour, and uh, Gene Simmons. This is this is crazy. There was some girl up there with her boyfriend or or a guy. I don't know. And Gene Simmons, between the song, went up to the guy. I'm standing right there, and he's telling, he's yelling at the guy. How old is she? How old is she? <laughs> I was like, damn, <laughs> you know? And I look and I'm like, she doesn't look 18, <laughs> you know? Uh, which was kind of wild. Like, he, I guess he wanted the guy's bo- uh, girlfriend. I don't know if it was his girlfriend or not, but it was some dude with a, could have been his younger sister fall, I know, you know? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, being very close to Kiss in the 80s, which that was my only two times because look it up, I was 10th row. Um, uh, what, what was the other one? Crazy Nights. I was like on the side, and then a side. Uh, so it was a side. It was a and look it up. Analyze and then uh, Asylum. Yeah, look it up. Asylum. No, I mean Asylum and um, uh, Animalize. I was close to the other ones. No, nah, look it up. Kind of close, but yeah, I mean I'm talking about like on the stage, like very close. Those were the two, and I guess like every show of the '80s. There was some shenanigans going on with uh, with Gene and Paul, like you know, fucking with the audience and shit. You know, they were just they were kind of giving a show because I remember throughout the show it was like, especially Gene was you know just hitting on people in the front or doing stuff with people up front, and you know at that time it was all about you know the 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 love gun speech that Paul oh, does, you know, yeah, which is very cringeworthy, but that's what it was. It was them trying to be. Uh, sleazy, slutty to the max, and who knows? I mean, if they really, you know, well, I'm sure Gene did, but you know, who knows if Paul really? Because I remember, I remember the the Crazy Night show. Uh, there was a shirt on sale where it showed Paul with like three chicks on the on the shirt. Have you ever seen that shirt? Yeah, yeah, and there was only a, there wasn't a Bruce and Eric shirt, but there was just a Paul and Gene shirt, which I thought was funny from that tour. Yeah, and I think the back of the shirt said something like, you know, it's better to have sex with two more than one girl at the same time. I don't know, it was something <laughs> like that. Whole menage a trois, you know, orgy thing, which were there. I don't know about Paul really being that way. Gene, I wouldn't pass him, put it past him. You know, I'm sure he pretty much was, but it was all a show and it was all, you know, like a gimmick thing, but. Yeah, and even like those songs were more "fuck me, suck me" than "take me." You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all night, um, yeah. bang bang you. Uh, I'm alive. I'm alive. It, uh, I mean, it it, it was even better. It, <laughs> it got like it got to a point where not just Kiss, but it, it like around like eighty eight, eighty nine, it just got silly. You know, where when Poison came out in like eighty five, eighty six, it was like, okay, this is kind of fun. But when you got to the late 80s, you're like, well, this is just silliness. And, and I think yeah. it, it almost became a parody of itself. And I think I think because people got so sick of the 80s music and everything like that, I think that's why albums like Revenge didn't do well, because people were sick of rock and roll bands singing about 
you know, fucking and sucking. They were they got tired of hearing they got tired of hearing stuff like that by that time. Um, but again, if we didn't get sick of it in, in the late eighties, then I don't think it would have came back in the late nineties uh, as strong right. as it did. Because not only Kiss, Kiss wasn't the only band that had a comeback tour. You know, Motley Crue had a big comeback with Generation Swine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, bands like Fleetwood Mac had comeback tours, the Sex Pistols, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it did get a little silly. It did get a little silly in the 80s. I kind of try and, um, I, I kind of try and avoid those, those late 80s live Kiss shows because some of the, uh, some of the speeches are, are cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah, big time. Sandra, is there anything else you want to talk more about Alive 96? Yeah, one of the one of the things I spent the most time on while editing a live ninety six was fixing kind of all of the the warts and the imperfections of the show. Everyone knows that a live performance is never going to be perfect, but there were some really big mess ups that all the guys in the band kind yeah. of messed up on. One of the ones that stands out the most is during the during Deuce at Tiger Stadium. You know, the band kind of fell apart during that uh, that first solo breakdown where the drums come back in. So I thought it was a good opportunity to go back in and fix all that stuff because even though there were mess-ups every night on the tour, um, that's that's been highly publicized, I don't think that a lot of people are going to remember those mess-ups. People are going to remember how excited they were to see the show. So making a true memento of this live concert, I thought, uh, let me go back in and let me go and fix some of these mistakes. Kind of very similarly to how Eddie Kramer went back in and fixed, you know, Alive 2 and Alive and, and all that stuff. So right. I, I, I went back and I fixed all that stuff. So I fixed, uh, there's a mistake I fixed in Deuce. There's mistakes I fixed in 100,000 Years, Shout Out Loud, King of the Nighttime World, Let Me Go Rock and Roll, and, and uh, God of Thunder. And if I did my job right, and hopefully you forgot what songs I say that I fixed, while you're watching this, you, you hopefully won't know that I went back in and uh, and fix those things. Well, that's great because just about every you know video that bands do put out on DVD, they're, they're fixed, they're touched up. Yeah, yeah. It, I didn't uh, I didn't go back in and add a bunch of you know background vocals from different recordings. I didn't uh, you know pipe in a bunch of extra audience. I just went in and I fixed big mistakes that I thought took away from the show. And, and that was the thing. I never wanted anything to take away from the show. I wanted the show to, um, I wanted the show to shine, and I wanted you to, I, I wanted you to take away from this and say, "Man, that was really cool." I remember when I saw that in Toronto or or in Miami. I remember that show, and it might not be an exact carbon copy of the show you saw, but I want you, I want you, and I want everyone that's watching us to remember how cool it was when they saw Kiss in 96 back in makeup for the first time. And you also have to put into account the people that didn't get to see it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I mean, it's funny. We, we kind of flip-flopped as far as Kiss goes. When Kiss came back in 96, when you were at the show, people were like, oh, have you ever seen Kiss in makeup before? And now when you go to a Kiss concert, people say, hey, have you ever seen them without <laughs> makeup? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of it's flipped. So... um one of the things that always stands out to me is that when I ever watch some of these 96 shows, I forget how cool and how good they looked when they first came back. 
I'm not saying that they look bad or anything like that now, but when you see them in 96, you're like, oh my God, you forgot that everybody was like super in shape. Those costumes were brand new and, uh, you know, the makeup was razor sharp. So when you're watching that, when you're watching these things again and and looking at pictures and everything, you're like, man, I I forgot how cool this was. Uh, The marketing campaign of Alive 96 was centered around those photos that were taken for Spin Magazine in in, uh, May of 96. Right. Because I wanted to use those photos because there wasn't a lot of props. There wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of those rich backgrounds that Barry Levine liked to use. Nothing against Barry Levine. But I wanted to strip it down to as basic as it possibly could be. I wanted you to focus on these four guys at this time. So I thought that using those photos from those spin magazine sessions were the best representations of those because they literally stripped everything away except these four guys in these costumes. And if you remember back in 96, that's all we cared about. We didn't, we didn't care what the stage looked like. We didn't care... Um, you know, they weren't playing 35 songs. We didn't care that they were, weren't playing all these rare songs. All we cared about was seeing those four guys in yep. those costumes. So I thought it was important to take the marketing and all the little posters and images that I shared of this project, took it back to that photo shoot because nothing else mattered at that time. Right. Yeah. And it was, and plus, you know, uh, it sounds like what you did is kind of like, all right, we got the glossy with the second coming. You yeah. know, we got the photo, uh, you know, footage of the photo sessions with the dragon and, you know, and the tiger and all that stuff and the flames and all that. We got all that, you know, kind of the glossy version where this is kind of like the way you're describing it because I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you flip the coin over and you see what we saw when we went yeah. live. So what you're what you're like saying is that when you watch a live 96, it's really going to capture what it was like to be there, right? To see that exactly. live. Exactly. It's going to make you relive that live experience. Um, what I want to give KISS fans uh, a homework assignment, what I want you guys to do is, before you watch a live 96, I want you to watch the second coming and watch it up until they sell out that Tiger Stadium show. And once they sell out Tiger Stadium, turn off the second coming, and then put on a live ninety six, and you'll get the total package of mm. that. You'll get the total package of that experience that Kiss was giving you in ninety six. You'll get them with the making of the tour, and then you'll get this live concert. And I think that was really missing. A lot of fans have said that they wish that a live concert came out this time. Uh, we all love the Second Coming. Hey, I, the, the Second Coming is the thing that I watch the most next to uh, Iron Maiden Flight 666. But those are the two music movies that I watched the most. That I could just put those on and just do my work or, or whatever. Right. So even though people loved The Second Coming, they were like, hey, this should have come with a concert. And yeah. this is the concert that it should have come with. I agree. That was the one thing I, I, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, even after Second Coming came out, I was like, well, I hope they put a show out. You know, and it they... wasn't until 2003 that they put a show out, The Kiss Symphony. Right, which is uh, um, I get a headache watching that. Too many, <laughs> too many uh, cut cuts. Bam, 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 bam. You know, I get yeah. kind of dizzy watching. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Of, there's a lot of live DVDs like that. That camera angles just move way too fast. It and suffers I, from that early 2000s style of editing. Yeah, because... which yeah, which I I don't know why. Even you know when I first saw it, 
you know uh testament has a dvd like that too it's like oh my i can't watch this you know enough already <laughs> it's it's better to listen to than watch you know yeah yeah the uh the iron maiden rock and rio dvd suffers from that a little bit a lot of right. rapid a lot of rapid yeah. camera angles and they were all put out like around the same two or three years um but but i think those uh those early 70s concerts where you kind of were just studying one band member and then moving to the other one was the way that a lot of these shows were meant to be seen. Those so the best um, yeah, yeah, and it's just it, it's it's a really um, it's it's a gap in Kiss's live history to to have the first live makeup show come out in 2003. 2003. That was 8 years, 8 8 years. Excuse me, it was 7 years after they put the makeup back on. So you right. had 7 years of them touring around the world whether it be on the the, the farewell tour, the Psycho Circus tour, and they they never released anything. Yeah, so it, um, and it's a shame. I, I mean, it still boggles my mind how you know, or or, or the Psycho Circus, you know, uh, released yeah. that with with the three D glasses like they did for the Psycho Circus video. Yeah, yeah, you know? that should have come out too. And I never got to see that tour because it was I had tickets to it, but they canceled. Yeah. Because they had to do a pre-Super Bowl show. Yes. <laughs> and I was so pissed. I was beyond pissed. I was like, motherfucker, just to play rock and roll all night or whatever the hell they did. And I missed out on, on the Psycho Circus tour, which I'm still upset about, you know. Because uh, from <laughs> Lick It Up, you know, I, I, you know, Revenge, I didn't get to see. But every, I, I never missed Kiss, you know, back then, you know. But, I uh, <laughs> I did get to see the Psycho Circus tour at Madison Square Garden. Oh, um, cool. it actually, it was is November of '98, and they were actually presented with their gold records for Psycho Circus nice. at the show that I saw them at. So it was a cool show to to be at, and uh, I would have been, I probably still would have been pissed if I had missed Kiss. Um, mm. But it was funny. The Psycho Circus tour wasn't a very long tour, and almost right after that, they were um, announcing that farewell tour. You know, in early 2000. That's so, right, because Cycle Circus was ninety eight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ninety eight, uh, and I and I didn't I didn't know that, or no one really knew, except people that were close to the band, didn't know how unbearable Ace and Peter had gotten at that point. Uh, yeah, or how unbearable the four of them had gotten to work together at that point. So um, it's a it's a shame that it it had to go down like that. I mean, there. I mean, listen, we could have a whole other podcast talking about the breakup of of Kiss for the second time, right. um, how the same things happen. But um, but hey, at least you know it, it, it happened. The, the magic was still there in '96. My opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And no, yeah. and I, I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, is there any way you can send me a link before anybody can see it, like unlisted? <laughs> yeah, Throw me absolutely. a bone, Andrew. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I, I could throw you a little bone. Right, um, cool. And I am going to do that, actually. I'm going to watch Second Come until they sell out Tiger Stadium yeah. and then put that on. I'll get yeah. the full effect. Yeah, yeah, because you get the making of the tour, and then this is the, the live version of, uh, of, of the tour. This is, this is the VHS tape that, that we should have got in, in 1996 and that, that we never got. So, um, you know, I, I wonder if some fan is going to, you know, rip it off YouTube and then put it on a VHS tape. I think that would be kind of cool. I think it would be cool to make just like a, like a phony VHS tape yeah. and watch it in an old style, you know, tube TV and see what that would look like. 
um, make a make a cool clamshell. A cool uh, clamshell case. case. For, <laughs> cool I used to hate those clamshell case cases because they oh, never yeah, fit too. any. They never fit anywhere. I'm like, this thing is so <laughs> yeah, huge, I, I can't fit it anywhere. Um, <laughs> but if but, you want to uh, get the full effect, get a clamshell case. Yeah, yeah, and they even made Kiss Me the Phantom in a clamshell case at at, at one point in time. Wow. Um, but it it's just these things that I do, uh, minus the the one last time movie, but these other Kiss movies that I do. It's about going back to a certain time period and trying to rekindle those memories. And, uh, you know, in 1996, there was no coronavirus. There wasn't any division between presidential candidates. There wasn't a recession. There wasn't any of this crap. No Internet. Like, there, well, yeah, it's not barely, like barely no Internet. It was it was about meeting your friends at the bar that was around the corner of the arena and, and going to see a band that you all grew up listening. It was such an innocent time. Oh, yeah. And, I remember going to Madison Square Garden, and I didn't even know the set list. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't know the set list. You didn't know what the stage was. You didn't watch someone's, you know, YouTube live feed the night before the first show. Right. It just, it it was, it, it, it had so much more innocence. And I'm not saying that it was better or worse than anything. Well, I'm but... saying it's better, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying those days, man. The the special the you know just like record record uh, you know it's hard to find records like it was back in the day but it was so special to go to a record store and not knowing what you would find yeah. and you know now it's kind of like you're just lucky to find anything or it, just people spoiling everything and I admit I'm guilty of it too I'll look at a set list before I go see a concert you know and then I get excited oh shit they're gonna play this again because the internet ruined me and it ruined everybody and then I'm talking about <laughs> But then there's people that, you know, internet didn't ruin anybody because, you know, they came to age when the internet came along. So they don't know what it's like without the internet. Think about it. I mean, internet really took off. I mean, I started in 99. Yeah, that's about when I started. That's a, I mean, I was online in 98 and I remember downloading a really terrible real player or real audio copy of Psycho Circus in 98. But it wasn't. Um, I, I was just, you know, surfing kiss sites. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't posting on message boards. I wasn't live chatting with anyone. So I, I mean, now you know something happens and it's on the internet as it happens. Yeah, instantaneous. Um, it's too much information, too quick all the yeah, time. We thought and that it, people's access to information was what made them stupid, and now we have unlimited information in the palm of our hands and we're still stupid so you know (laughs) so you know what really happened i mean i still i remember i still have these memories and i'm never i'm never gonna forget them and i I treasure them i still remember driving to the meadowlands to see kiss on new year's eve and i remember how cold it was and then i also remember driving into madison square garden you know two years later to see kiss in new york city and even though i was looking at uh, the kiss asylum website every day I didn't know what the set list was going to be. I didn't know that they had dropped She and Nothing to Lose from Halloween Night. I only knew the set list from Halloween Night because I listened to it on the radio. But I didn't know that they were going to be playing Making Love. I was like, oh, hey, that's kind of cool. Wow. You know, it, it, cool. It, you, I was surprised a little bit. But by the time that they came around on the Farewell Tour in 2000, man, I was following the set list every night. <laughs> and, and, and it just got worse. It got worse. I remember... Uh, on the Rock the Nation tour in 2004 when they were trying to mix it up a little bit, playing mm-hmm. different songs here and there. I remember every day I would log on to Kiss Online to see what the set list was the night before. So, you know, it it was completely, completely, completely spoiled for me. But um, 
But, you know, hopefully when people watch a live 96, they remember back to a simpler time yeah. where it was just about these four guys playing together again. And no, no idiots online telling you it sucked. Yeah, exactly. You make up your armor, which I still do. But, you know, you got to admit, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, oh, everybody's saying this. So I, I'm going to have to agree with them. You know, which which sucks, but people like that are posers. Yeah, I just I don't take I don't take any of that stuff to heart. I I always kind of do what I want to do or or go see what I like. Um, But don't get me wrong. There are times when people are right. I mean, um, I I remember uh, I remember when I went to see the Justice League movie, you know, three years ago and people were like, oh, it sucks. It's so bad. And then I went to see it, and I was like, "Okay, well, uh, they were right. That was really yeah. bad." <laughs> but, but if it wasn't, you know, for, you know, you wouldn't be agreeing with those people. That's my point. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you just make up your own mind. Yeah, there's a lot of times somebody will say, "Oh, this is terrible," and then I watch it. I'm like, "Oh yeah, that, it is fucking terrible." And then there's times I watch, I'm like, "It ain't that bad." I mean, people need to think of themselves because that's the, that's the problem with uh, internet too. Is because there's so many people, armchair critics, that don't know shit. Of yeah. nothing, and they're, and they're like critiquing stuff. Like, you know, everybody should agree with me. You know what I mean? Where before the internet, there wasn't none of that. They, you know, it'd be like maybe one person you meet. Oh, I don't like it. Well, I like it, and that's the end of it. But when you get like a whole fucking message board yeah. with the whole Facebook of everybody agreeing, see there. And and here's another weird thing about me, man. It's gotten to the point where I'm so sick of it that I get upset, Andrew. I'm not lying to you. I get really <laughs> upset. That I don't like Nickelback. I wish I liked Nickelback because everybody hates them. I want to like them, but I can't because they're not good. I mean, to my ears, they, they don't sound good. But I like to go against what everybody says sucks. Like a good example is Metallica. Every ah, Lars, I think Lars is a good drummer. I mean, he's not like you know a virtuoso. Right? Ah, but it's so cool and trendy to make fun of Lars. I'm like, man, I listen to all that early Metallica shit. I thought the guy was unique. He had his own yeah. style. No, but Metallica, this Metallica, you know, and then there's some jackass out there made a shirt that's uh, Lars Ulrich and Cliff Burton, and and the shirt says it, <laughs> it should have been, been it should have been Lars. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like if people really knew their history of Metallica, which obviously these people are dopes, they don't know. Cliff was not as metal as Lars in the eighties. No, Cliff no. was into Blues to Cult, Leonard Skinner. All these, you know, and he was like, wearing you know, bell bottoms still. He was wearing yeah, bell bottoms in 1983 because he loved, he, loved. He, he loved REM, yeah. you know. If anybody would have wanted to change the direction of Metallica, it would have been Cliff, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, uh, so if Lars would have died, there'd be shirts that same shirt today would be would exist, but it would have said it should have been Cliff, you know what I mean. <laughs> there, um, just getting back to what you said about uh, about Nickelback, I was actually I was I was at a friend's house a couple nights ago, and uh, they he was a huge Nickelback fan, and he's like, "Why don't you like Nickelback?" And I was like, "Man, I was like, Nickelback is the live laugh love of rock music, <laughs> and that's the best way I can describe it." Yeah, it, yeah. it really is. It really it, is. But, but I admit it, it upsets me. I wish I liked them. I really do because. All the hate is like, I want to be against all these fucking haters, but, but I can't. I, I tried. But you have to you have to give it to them, even though they have all those haters. They still sold 10 million records Look and successfully have played arenas for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, over a decade. Um, doesn't mean they're good. I, I, I certainly don't get it, but I'm sure there are some people that don't get kiss. 
either. Oh, come on. Um, we all know that. But it is, I mean, it is, it is a little fun to make fun of Nickelback. I will. I have jumped on that bandwagon. Right. Um, well, if you, if you, uh, if you get some time later on, there are some Camp Chaos videos, uh, a little Metallica cartoons from the early two oh, thousand. I remember that with the money Metallica, Napster. Yeah, money, the Napster, Napster bad, Napster bad. Money good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sub was just was funny, and, and I'll be honest with you. After watching those videos, I was like, you know what? I want to listen to Metallica now, and that kind of yeah, made yeah. me a fa- that made me a fan of Metallica. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Where haters, uh, it backfires on the haters. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Listen, I, I'm not a huge fan of Saint Anger, but I just don't talk about Saint Anger. Yes, it right. sucks, but like yeah. I'll go listen to the Black Album, you know, or, or play me something from Kill 'Em All. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's you know, what I like. I like the early stuff, but I, yeah. I don't like the later stuff. I like the last one, but everything in between, I didn't like it since early stuff. But I don't bash it because everybody does, and it's like, oh my god, think for yourself. You know, I stick with Sammy Hagar. He doesn't get enough hate. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I I just bought a a friend of mine. I bought him a bottle of Cabo. And uh, <laughs> the entire way up to the register, I was singing Mas Tequila. Do you remember that song, Mas Tequila? <laughs> yes, I do. That song was everywhere. Yeah. And, and I'm like, man, I like this song still. And uh, I, I, listen, Well, I'm Andrew, like... it's been great having you, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but listen, um, you're never going to – I am never going to turn off David Lee Roth Van Halen. I am, yeah. never, I am never going to turn it off. Yep. Yeah, it, I'm a, I'm a big time. Yeah, that's the one person I don't mind bashing, you know, because, you know, the thing is, if Sammy Hagar never joined Van Halen, I wouldn't be a fan today, but I wouldn't despise him. What makes me, you know, crazy is, yeah, I'm not a fan of the music, but man, all the lies, the yeah. crazy lies he kept saying, and he still says, you know, about, oh, we were more successful, lie. Uh, Van Halen never sold out an arena till 1984, big lie. You know, I was selling out just as many arenas as Van Halen 84. No, you weren't. I mean, Van Halen was huge. Huge. I mean, that album sold 10 10 million copies, you know, and, uh, you know, we sold more. I sold more in Van Halen than Dave did. No, actually, the first album in 1984, if you combine both of them alone, they sold out. They outsold the whole Van Halen discography uh, combined. And I'm not even counting Van Halen 2, Women Children, First Fair Warning, and Diver Down, which was multi-million selling albums. Uh, don't get me started on Sammy. <laughs> but yeah, I There's mean, the guy, a, it just you know, drives me nuts. Van Halen, they were playing arenas in 1979, and yeah. Sammy was opening for Kiss in 77. Mm-hmm. So Van Halen was outselling Kiss, yeah. and Sammy was opening for Kiss. Yeah, and and there's uh, I put up a, a video not too long ago. Uh, he was on the Midnight Special in 1978. It is the most cringeworthy thing you'll ever see. It's like this is like soft rock bullshit, and uh, that's when Van Halen released their first album. So you know, yeah. there you go. And Van, oh my God, <laughs> I, I never saw I never saw Van Hagar, but I did get to see Van Halen on the A Different Kind of Truth tour with uh, with Dave, that's and the cool. show was awesome. They played like yeah. 25 songs. Every song I wanted to hear, they played. Um, yes, David Lee Roth, he was kind of like somebody's drunk uncle at points. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but it was very, very cringy. Very cringy. Yeah, it wasn't as cringy as he was when I saw him open for Kiss in, in early 2020. Oh, really? That was bad? Yeah, I just, he was just, he was 
like I felt like I felt like he was making fun of himself. Mm. And and I thought that he was under the assumption that we weren't going to take it seriously. Right. Uh, his band was was incredible. Um, but again, David Lee Roth, he was never a virtuoso singer. You were never going to say, oh, the greatest singer uh, in the 70s was David Lee Roth. No, it was actually Stephen Perry, or Steve Perry, rather, from Journey. Mm-hmm. But Ron David Lee Roth was the, was the greatest entertainer. And he was perfect uh, for Van Halen. And, and I really, really love his voice in the 80s. I mean, it was organic. It wasn't technically great, but it had an attitude. It had a yeah. flair. It had, you know, there was just something so special. But, you know, I mean, I'm more of an organic, like, I love 70s Kiss. Mm-hmm. Not Nothing taken away from the later Kiss. Like, my favorite band of all time is Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about 70s Black Sabbath. It was organic. But later Black Sabbath, I worship as well. I just have this thing for organic nature, more real nature. But, again, I love early Ingve. I love Shredders. I love some Dream Theater. I, I, I can get into all that. But my heart is for, you know, uh, Ace Frehley fucking doing a guitar solo where his fucking rings and bracelet hits the fucking strings. I love that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so real. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, it's not, you know, it's dangerous. I like the sloppiness of it. I don't like perfection when it comes to Sandy's Kiss. I like that raw nature of what they were back then, you know? So basically, you don't want you don't want me to get you fifty one fifty for Christmas, is what you're talking. Mm, well, shit, I am going target practicing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send me it, man. <laughs> fifty one fifty. Uh, the live without a net was my introduction to Van Halen. Oh, I, my I, condolences. I found this tape, and and I thought to myself, I go, well, that guy doesn't look like David Lee Roth. And when I watched <laughs> it, I go, well, that guy isn't David Lee Roth. I was like, where's how come? Why aren't they playing Jump? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah they, they, that's another thing that pissed me off too. Was like they abandoned the old song. They play what one or two, and I heard rumors. I'm not gonna say it's true or not, but it was like Sammy refused to do it. You know, so oh, whatever. It, but that's fine. I don't want to see Sammy singing those songs. You know, I did see the fifty one fifty tour for free. Well, I wasn't going, and my friend, I went to go see it. And it was fucking terrible. Then I saw uh, I saw them again one more time at OU812 and Monsters of Rock because I wanted to see the Scorpions and Dagen and Metallica. And then I was all the way up front. Then when Van Hagar came on, you know, I, I drove there in a, my friend's car. So I went and sat in the nosebleeds till it was over so I can, you know. And, and really, I, up there, I, after Eruption, I just left. I was like, oh, you know, I mean, I just wanted to see Eruption, you know. And, you know, the 5150 tour, BTO was opening. I go, well, I'll see BTO and Eddie. You know, that's all I was, you know, that's guitar solo. But, oh, my God. But, you know, for everybody out there that loves Van Hagar, man, more power to you. I don't care. It's just, you know, people get really upset with me. But it's like, dude, you understand that if you love Van Hagar, I have no problem with it. You know, we're all different, man. Some people like the taste of liver, you know? Fuck it, I man. certainly if, don't. I certainly don't. Yeah, but, you know, there's people that, you know, oh, uh, the the Sammy Hagar uh, version of Van Halen is better, Ralph. And I'm like, I agree 100% that you think that. But, you know, <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, what else do you want me to say? It's like, okay. But some people are like, no, it's better. So you should think like I do. It's like, dude, I'm not that pompous that anything I think of, everybody should agree with me. That's not the way I am. I don't, I have this thing. I, I hate communists, Andrew. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I went to a communist country. And that's how you are over there. You must conform. You must think like they do. And I have this this bug up my ass when anybody like tells me what I should think, what I should like. It's like, no, dude. So I am the last person to tell everybody, anybody out there, do not support Sammy Hagar. Don't do it. No, if you like it, enjoy it. You know, I have nothing against you liking Sammy Hagar. Don't have anything against me, you know, despising the motherfucker, you know? Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's just me. I wish everybody was like me. But you like to make fun of Sammy Hagar, so. I love it because, (laughs) you know what it is, too? Because he lies so much, you know? And he's always making up stories and, oh, I have no problem with David Roth. But then, like, 10 years ago, I can't stand it. Make up your fucking mind. You know, and what he did to Eddie in the book, it's like, man, how can, you know, he totally threw him under the bus. He, he's just a despicable human being. So I like making fun of him, you know, but anybody else like, you know, I mean, Lars has done a lot of stupid shit, but at least he doesn't lie about people and all this shit, you know, so whatever. And, you know, another thing, like, you know, there's people that'll be like, well, I don't like this band because so-and-so did this. It's like, dude, if you really looked into every band you like, you wouldn't like any band because just about every band has a douchebag in it, yeah. you know, uh, just a lot of us don't know, you know, you know, kiss, you know, kiss like you know, makes it obvious because uh, Paul Stanley puts his foot in his mouth. But but there's other bands that, you know, they do they do shit beyond the scene. Nobody knows about and we, we they love them, but they'll hate, you know, Gene or Paul because of what they do. But there's other bands out there doing just as bad as. As what Gene and Paul does. Worst stuff. Yeah. You know? But whatever, man. But anyway, hey, man, it's been a great episode once again, (laughs) Andrew. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody. Thank thank you for having me. Here's one thing we can agree on. We can agree on that everybody needs to go watch a live 96. That's what we all can agree on. And uh, if you own Second Coming, watch it until the Detroit sellout. Right when they sell it out. Like when when they talk about. Isn't it like, you know, Pete talks about he got his phone call or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. Peter talks about the infamous phone call that he got from Gene. So watch it up to that part. And then after they do that, basically after you're going to see a time-lapse shot of the stage being set up in Tiger yeah. Stadium. After that is, turn it off and then turn on a Live 96. Right on, dude. I will do that. So thank you so much, Andrew, for being part of the show. Oh, thank and you so everybody- much for having me back. You're, you're very welcome, and I'll have you back again when we talk Kiss or some shit you like that I like. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, everybody click the link below, and thank you again, Andrew. No problem. Thank you so much. So soon after this interview with Andrew, he sent me an unlisted link to Alive 96, and I watched it, and I watched it from beginning to end. It was amazing what he did and exactly how he he described it. You know, it looks like if Kiss was to release that back in 96, you know, as a a VHS, because it it has that that vibe, you know, and it's not like one of those, like what we were talking about, quick angle shots where you get dizzy just watching it. No, the guy really, really did a bang up job. So do yourself a favor, click that link, it's below, and check out Live 96. If you're a KISS fan, and if you love the reunion tour, you gotta see this. It's awesome. So, you know what time it is. 
Follow me into the Vieira Vault. All right, inside the Vieira Vault, and I, just like last week, I'm going to play another Kiss cover I did. I might have played this in a past episode, but I know if I did, I didn't explain the origins of it, so I'll explain it. I was going to do, I always wanted to do a cover of Calling Dr. Love and call it Calling Dr. Fuck, and my initial idea was to make it, you know, slutty and dirty and bad words and sexual connotations all the way through it. And I remember I used to work a late shift for the city of Miami Beach. And it just, I thought, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. It's too predictable. What I'm going to do is just do kiss references throughout the song. So here it is. Calling Dr. Fuck.
Killing Dr. Fuck featuring Alex Marquez on the drums, the D-Man on guitar, and my good buddy Cam on bass. So that's the end of the Vieira Vault. And again, I know I repeat myself, but I want to. I need to. Because you deserve to be praised for still listening. You deserve to be praised for sharing my episode. You deserve to be praised by listening, period. Y'all rule, man. And next week, I'm going to start. I haven't finished editing it. I already did one episode. I'm going into the second. I'm not sure if it's going to be three or four episodes. It might be three, but I'll see. Maybe it'll end up being four. Because Will Carroll from Death Angel returns next week as we discuss the Blue Oyster discography. I'm talking about every album, every song. And you know how we are. We veer off on other subjects too. It's amazing. If you guys like the the past episodes I've done with Will, you're going to love these. Trust me. Till next time, my friends. Smack them a God. Bah!